Welcome to the ACFCS Financial Crime Cast, a briefing featuring the latest news, analysis, and guidance from across the financial crime spectrum. I'm Brian Smodekindle, SVP of Product and Programming with ACFCS, and on this episode, we're taking on crypto's evolution and its current and future impact on the banking sector, a topic that seems to inspire either heated debate, skepticism, head-scratching, or sometimes all of those former simultaneously. Are you a crypto naysayer predicting Bitcoin's imminent demise? A crypto maximalist holding your own keys in cold storage? More than likely, you're just trying to figure out what the future holds. And if so, then you're in luck. I certainly don't have all the answers for you, but I at least have a well-informed and, dare I say, entertaining messenger with me today, and that is my guest, Simon Moss, the CEO of Symphony IASD AI. Together, we're going to explore crypto's potential to undermine or even replace fiat currencies, a uh, interesting or frightening proposition depending on who you talk to, the need for regulations to adapt to keep up with the times, and the way lines are blurring between banks and crypto. Perhaps most importantly for you, the financial crime professionals in the audience, we shed light on how the march of crypto impacts financial crime compliance and the tools and training needed to stay ahead of this curve. Well, Simon, welcome to the program. Actually, I should say welcome back for any of the uh, ACFCS super fans out there. You may recognize Simon from one of our our previous podcasts, um, and it's always a uh, entertaining and enlightening it's conversation. Stupid enough to invite me back, Simon. <laughs> Obviously, nobody else has said no. So, all right, let's invite him back. We must be gluttons for punishment, but uh, either way, we're we're thrilled to have you here, um, and mm. this is a fantastic topic. So, thanks for thanks for taking the time to do it. Delighted, delighted, and um, thanks for everybody coming on to uh, to hear me babble a second time. Well, let's uh, let's start out by just maybe reintroducing yourself to the people out there. If you don't mind, just uh, giving us a little bit of background on on who you are and your role in this uh, this wide world of financial crime. Yes, a, a small cog in a big wheel, a big engine. Um, I'm Simon Moss. I'm CEO of ASD AI. Um, been around for a couple of years. Um, we, we, we're, not, we're not bothering to take any prisoners. We've gone into the market with a whole set of new inventions in which we've used oncological and pharmaceutical research, malignancy t- testing algorithms to, to really what we call decode the financial crime uh, and, and find new biomarkers and, and find behaviors. And, and you know, since we last spoke, Brian, we've been doing several projects with large global clients and, and the results have been I don't think I'm allowed to swear here, so I'm going to say flipping amazing. Um, uh, you know, orders of magnitude increase in crime, and you know, solving at the same time the um, the uh, the symptoms of of poor detection in in just removing false positives from the whole picture. So you know, we, things are going great. Um, you know, I was pretty I was pretty blunt in the last podcast that we did together, in which I said that the market has been completely arbitraged by both organized and, and opportunistic criminals. And you know, we're using systems that were built five, eight years before the first iPhone, <laughs> looking for crimes from the 1980s and 1990s. And you know, and it's time to pull our socks up and, and really begin to fight back. And I'm delighted to say that all these big words that Yasby's been using has, uh, has actually been proven, you know, delivering on what we're saying. So uh, yeah, it's been a great few months since we last spoke. And uh, 
yeah, thanks again for inviting us. But this market moves on, so we're delighted to talk about the next subject. Excellent. Yeah, and I love the I love the approach you're using, pulling from other fields. Um, you know, the pharmaceutical yeah. industry, for example, and and looking at what innovation is taking place elsewhere, and seeing how we can pull it into the financial crime detection prevention space. I think it's I think it's quite smart. Well, yeah, crime is is a malignancy within the operating model of the financial system. It, 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 its job is to be innocuous and to hide and to metastasize. And so, you know, there, there are some, you know, in, incredible parallels between how the body is attacked by cancer or by other maladies in, in the same way as the financial body and the financial system is attacked by individuals that seek to arbitrage it or, or, or even worse, actually steal directly from it. Um, you know, the, 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 the biomarkers between the two are actually surprisingly similar. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we think we really uncovered something really exciting. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it is a, it is a, it is a complex system uh, with a with a set of rules and operating systems in the same in a in a similar way to the yeah. the financial system. So, yeah, importing yeah, those but, concepts but, but, is but, really but, fascinating. But at the same time, the patient, you know, wants to actually have this diagnosis and be cured. Yes. Um, you know, and and you know, I'm not going to say too much, but there are many patients out there that really don't give a damn that they've got these diseases. And, you know, I, I I draw everybody's attention to Oliver Burroughs' new book, Butler to the World. And everybody on who is interested on this podcast, you should just buy it. It's it's an astonishing book, and uh, you know, it, it it makes you both angry and also is proud to see that some people are standing up and saying, no, we've got to do something about it. Um, yeah, Oliver, Oliver, I want a signed copy if you're listening to this. <laughs> we'll have to see if we can get it in front of him. Also, plug his, his yeah, former book. Would, I think wow, was, uh, you should get him on this. That'd be oh, good. that yeah. would be good. Maybe we should get yeah. both of you in conversation next time, but I'll no, plug... He's, uh, he's way too smart for me. I just sit there and bat, bat my eyelids a lot, I'm afraid. <laughs> also plug Moneyland, too, I think his previous book, which was, uh, yeah, which was, quite, another which good was one. quite good as yeah. well. So. Yeah. So speaking of complex systems and, uh, you know, uh, innovation and the need to push things forward in light of, uh, you know, the market moving on, um, the topic of today is the crypto space, a fascinating and fast evolving one. Um, and I think one that absolutely demands a response from the banking sector, whether, you know, the banking sector agrees with that or not. Um, so let's talk about, you know, just kind of setting the stage here. Um, recently, there was a, a White House executive order related to innovation in the, the crypto or digital asset space. Um, and it noted that about 16% of American adults have invested in, traded, or used cryptocurrencies. Other estimates put that as high as 22%. That's just in the United States. Um, globally, you know, various countries have actually significantly higher adoption rates. I believe Vietnam has quite a high adoption rate. Um, other countries, it's 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 less prevalent. But around the world, it's clear that there is consumer demand for cryptocurrencies. So, what is driving this? What is making crypto so popular among the general public? It, it, it's a fantastic question. And, you know, if you look at the adoption curve of, you know, to, 1990 to about 1998 of the internet, and you look at the adoption curve of crypto from 2014 to today, this is just crypto. Um, and we'll talk about uh, decentralized finance in a moment. Uh, just crypto 
the, the adoption curve is almost exactly the same. Uh, and so it, it, it's an astonishing pickup. The interesting thing, though, is that we are looking at the, at the, the, the embryo of a whole new financial system. And anybody who dismisses this is an idiot. Um, the intriguing part is that it is coming through, you talked about Vietnam, but it's coming through different demographics of the market. So people with poor, poor credit, minorities, uh, women. Um, uh, and, 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 and so just this adoption curve, if you, if you look at who is adopting it, who is using it, it's, a, it's whole new demographics that have usually been completely ostracized by the traditional financial system. And this is given an, an enormous opportunity for the democratization of finance. And incredibly exciting, you know, they're just the removal of having to have a decent credit rating within, uh, the, the, within the, uh, this financial system. It's making an, an enormous difference. So yeah, you know, you're gonna be looking at a billion odd users uh, you know, according to, to various statistics between 26 and 27. Um, and, and anybody that dismisses it, you know, you know frankly, you, you might as well have been the, the CEO of Barnes & Noble in 2002, because this is an in incredibly exciting moment. Now, it is a bit of the Wild West. It is poorly regulated. Um, there is large amounts of fraud within it, um, particularly targeting the individual participants. Um, but but these are these are growing pains. We are looking at the creation of a new, much more inclusive financial system, and the current incumbents, the the the, the banks, need to think very hard about how they're going to fit in there. Because the the one thing that allows us to define what this market is is the removal of the intermediary. This is essentially a peer to peer financial system. And the removal of that intermediary, not just in standard transactions on the currency, but in the in, in increasing acceleration of the creation of new digital asset classes, loans being a good example, um, that intermediary is being left out. That is a big deal for the, for the current uh, financial system. Yeah, that's a fascinating point. I I do want to uh, maybe challenge that a little and and yeah. uh, say you know is it no intermediaries or is it new intermediaries? Because if you look oh, at I the think, way, yeah, that's a great question. It's yeah, evolving I, I, I so agree. far. There does yeah. seem to be a degree of centralization. So what do you what do you think of that? Yeah, is that a stepping you, stone? Or no, I I believe you're right. I think there there will need to be intermediaries as this as you go up the maturation curve of of adoption. You know, the exchanges are obviously there. Um, uh, so, so let me rephrase, but the traditional intermediary that is the custodian of the asset and prices that asset and chooses who can buy or sell that asset um, and uses a traditional mechanism of credit analysis to make that decision, that intermediary needs to think really hard about their future. But yeah, I, you know, the, the, the intermediary structure will be absolutely different. There's no doubt about it, but it will be there. So, uh, you know, I think that's a good catch, Brian. I don't think it's all going to be chaos, everybody doing you know, deal, deals with each other. Um, but I think that we are going to see, you know, a, a significantly greater amount of democratization. And I think the, the one area that I find most exciting is that democratization because, of the, because we're establishing um, a, a structure in which the integrity of the system 
is not managed by the inter intermediaries, but rather the integrity of the system is, is based on the motivation and the diligence of the participants, and that the transparency of the system is provided by the underlying technology, the blockchain, you know, notably Ethereum blockchain at the moment, but there'll be a couple more. Um, that, that makes an enormous difference on accessibility to finance. And, and that is, I think, the genesis on why we're beginning to see so many new entrants coming into the market. So one last point. So the current banking community are not that worried about the way things are going. And they're sort of dismissing it as, oh, this is this newfangled kids with their surfboards and guitars. No, this is something that is growing from a whole new population base and is getting increasingly stronger, increasingly powerful. And the, and, and the fintechs that are getting involved with it will be significant challenges to the traditional banking system as they mature. Yeah, no, fantastic points all around. And I absolutely, you know, see that kind of firsthand and, and even, you know, friends or connections that are some of the strongest. Do you, have, do you have any friends that bought any crypto a few years ago? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, God, absolutely. don't you hate those people? <laughs> uh, just, yeah. Oh, I have, I have one that bought a grand of, uh, I think it was Ethereum in 2009. Oh, he drives me nuts. Well, I have a terrible story um, that's even worse. I think around 2009, I went to a, a talk. Um, it was actually, it wasn't exclusively about Bitcoin, but there happened to be one of these like early Bitcoin evangelists there. And at the end of his, you know, like sort of ranting about Bitcoin that I was half listening to, he said, uh, everyone look under your seat. Um, and there was a paper wallet in which he was giving away Bitcoin for free. Um, and I just dismissed it entirely. I gave it to the person next to me. Um, and I think it was no way. today's prices. It was something like $50,000 worth of Bitcoin. So, uh, so there you go. Wow. Uh, yeah. That, yeah, that's I my, think, that's I, my I, tale of woe when I, it comes I, to the crypto space. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm, I'm the same. Uh, my, my, my kids have done terribly well with it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of us, were intimidated by this new vernacular. Um, and it, 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 it's been fascinating. And certainly we pivoted a Yazdi to make sure because we looked at it as a, as a separate asset class, as an area where is there, there could be significant crime. And so we've really calibrated hard against it. Um, but, but the whole concept of, of really understanding the flows, the wallets, the interchange has been a really interesting exercise. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll babble on a little bit about that further down yeah. the road. But just to answer your question, yeah, it's a really big deal. And anybody <laughs> who dismisses this, anybody who dismisses this needs to look at 2001, 2002. Yeah, uh, it's a fantastic point. And that, you know, the, the, the point about mirroring the Internet's curve is, is really interesting. So, I mean, on that note, then, you know, you're describing the, the replacement of, an existing type of intermediary, you know, maybe not all intermediaries within the system. And what you were describing, I couldn't help notice, sounded a bit like a bank um, in terms of the intermediary that might be challenged by this new financial system. So uh, you've already touched on it, but how do you envision cryptocurrencies affecting bank stability? St stability is an interesting term to use. Um, uh, 
you know, so, so, so let, let me try and back into that answer. Um, I, I mentioned earlier an adoption curve from demographics that have not necessarily been serviced by traditional banks. Uh, I also mentioned a, a new vernacular that is, is more youthful in characteristic and therefore by implication is tends to be dismissed by the more conservative financial industry. Um, uh, so, so the question is, is you know, with those two things in mind, are, are the banks making a mistake ignoring this? Or, or, or at the very least, you know, finding some young whippersnapper making them head of crypto and saying, all right, you know, you go sort this out for us. Um, no, they're making a really big mistake. What, what should they be afraid of? That They should be afraid of an enormous amount. And, and I'm not talking about cryptocurrency directly. Um, I, I think there are like 70 cryptocurrencies. You know, many of them are complete garbage. Many of them, particularly the private ones, tend to be more nefarious in, in the type of um, uh, activities they support. Um, I'm talking more about you know this this explosion or, or increasing explosion over the last three to four years of, of decentralized finance, in which we are getting the creation of new digital asset classes. And 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 so the first one I would look at is you know the whole access of liquidity on loans. Uh, companies like Figure. Um, are, are really looking at, at completely disintermediating the concept of, of traditional mortgages, the concept of traditional car loans. Um, and, and the only challenge that you have at the moment is, is not the efficacy of the system. It is you can't actually buy a lot with these currencies at the moment. Uh, that's actually reducing the amount of, of crime that you have within this system or, or rather without outside this system because there isn't a lot that you can buy. But as we get more familiar with the endpoint transaction, you are going to see a, 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 you know, an increasing velocity of the numbers of digital asset classes. And I'm, I'm going to say it's going to start with loans um, that is going to make an, an, enormous, you know, an enormous impact on the profitability in the top line of, of these institutions. And they are gonna have to work out how to provide loans that are digital in characteristic rather than physical the way they do it at the moment. Um, so they really do have a, a, a lot to catch up with. Um, uh, are they gonna get put out of business? A few of them are, yeah. Um, you know, I wouldn't want to be, uh, you know, banks that are servicing um, older communities. Um, I, I would be concerned about institutions. And you really got to look at a, a significant age gap difference here. Um, uh, you know, the, the bigger banks, I think, are going to be big enough to be able to muscle their way through to this. And, and as, as you said earlier, Brian, probably be, um, you know, establish themselves as an, as an intermediary. But you know, what they need to understand now is that people don't need to go cap in hand to a traditional bank if they need financing. These peer-to-peer -peer networks are creating huge amounts of uh, liquidity opportunity and access to finance. And, and they are increasingly creating huge amounts of opportunities to create or, or, or access financial instruments that have nothing to do with what the traditional bank has been controlling in the past. Um, you know, I, I'm looking at a couple of reports, UK Banking Report, BNP Paribas, you know, mul mul multiple other firms have come out and said, we better pull our socks up, understand this more, 
because as I think it was, yeah, it was an analyst at, at, at BNP that said, and I'll quote this, that cryptocurrency should be considered as an invention like the steam or combustion engine that has the potential to transform, transform the world of finance and beyond. Yeah, no doubt about it. The way the supply chain was changed by the internet, the way the retail industry was changed by the internet, we have a very significant similarity profile to the way not just cryptocurrencies, but the whole world of, of, of decentralized finance is going to have an impact on these firms. Yeah, and that, 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 that's where, that. no, not at all. I think that was a, a very, I mean, that to me is sort of the one of the cruxes of this entire um, conversation, and that is that this is far beyond cryptocurrency, right? Obviously, we've been referencing crypto and talking about crypto, but um, what's at the core of cryptocurrency is just a very significant technological evolution. Um, and you know, I know the term Web three is thrown around quite a bit. It's a little mushy. Did you know people mean different things by it? But uh, uh, it does. Uh, a better job in some regards of encompassing the sort of fundamental shift that's taking place um, in the in the financial sector. So, you know, on that note, we talked a little bit about financial institutions. You mentioned the big institutions will probably be able to, you know, find their way into this 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 new world, right? Um, how is that happening? Um, I, I've seen crypto custody, you know, at some institutions. The OCC recently approved that in the U.S. or maybe it was a, a, a little while ago, actually, at this point. Um, you know, there's been some internal use of blockchain at some institutions for like settlements. So do you see traditional financial institutions embracing crypto in one form or another? Hmm. I, I don't know enough to be able to give a, a, a direct answer to that. Um, I will give an opinion, which is, and, and we've had a lot of conversations with, with firms about, about this stuff. Um, a, a lot of them, to be perfectly honest, Brian, look at this and see it more as, as, uh, as a risk than as an opportunity. Um, so we're not seeing, you know, some firms are doing, you know, Wells Fargo, JP Morgan, Barclays, Standard Chartered are all trying to do some areas and beginning to expand into providing some of these things. Um, they tend to be investing into fintechs rather than trying to change their operating model, which I think is at the moment a fairly sensible idea. Um, but you know, what these firms will need to be able to understand and exploit and leverage these technologies, frankly, is a wholesale change in organizational culture and governance. Um, we, we are dealing with something that is extremely alien to a financial system that's grown up over the last 200 years. Uh, you know, banks for a couple of guys with a shotgun sitting outside a house protecting people's gold. They still have that approach and so you mentioned global custody um you know there, there, there is still that consideration that they are the central point of security within the financial system well within the decentralized finance the security of the system is actually in the underlying technology in itself within the blockchain so the distributed ledger 
and its ability to establish trusted and trustless relationships is really a key point to disintermediating what the banks have traditionally provided. So they have to sit there and say, okay, well, what, what do we do now? Um, step number one is, as, as I said earlier, that there isn't actually a lot that you can do <laughs> with these cryptocurrencies. You, you know, we, we, we see the odd things, people buying cars in Greenwich, Connecticut, down the road, somebody bought a house with it. Yeah, you know, it's beginning to pick up. But the, the key asset for the acquisition of, of um, uh, 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 wealth of, of things is still, um, you know, hard currency. Um, you know, the, 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 the money launderer's preferred currency is not Ethereum, it's not a cryptocurrency, it's the US dollar. And so the banks still have a significant control of how things are purchased uh, by the consumer. And you know, so the question becomes, do they become the intermediary or do they become uh, the endpoint to the financial system? Uh, and, and that requires, in, in my opinion, a very significant strategic and organizational rethink on how these firms are put together. Now, we're not talking, you know, people are saying these banks are going to go out of business in, in years. Now, you're, you're talking about a decade, two decade evolution of the financial system. Um, uh, the, 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 um, the, the mainstay of the financial system will remain the banks. Um, so they have, they do have time to work this out. They do have time to be able to understand it. But a lot of the resonance that we get is it's sort of being dismissed. That, that is a very significant mistake. I'm not sure if I answered your question then, Brian. No, absolutely you did. I think, I think, you know, uh, the key is that there is still a opportunity here for financial institutions, but it's one that they, they need to understand the new ecosystem um, and understand, you know, what they want their place to be in it um, and, 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 you know, begin plotting that out basically immediately as this plays out over the next decade or so. Um, which, you know, to your point, I don't know that necessarily a lot of institutions are doing. I mean, I imagine some yeah. of the more forward thinking ones are, but um, I, I think you're right in saying that there is very much a wait and see approach. You know, the other thing that we've heard quite a bit on our end, maybe predictably as we are a <clears throat> financial crime focused association, is this concern around financial crime risk in crypto too. Um, yeah. And there's a, there is, you're, you're, you're totally right in, in saying that there is a, uh, it, there is a you know kind of hard counter to that in the current system, and at least the current reality of cryptocurrencies, and that there there's not that liquid, um, you know, and so there's a lot of concern around you know crypto and sanctions evasion, for example. But at least you know the general consensus is it's very difficult to move funds at the type of volume that yeah. would be meaningful for sanctions evasion, you know, and cash them back out through cryptocurrencies. Yeah. Um, yeah. So well, yeah. Well, we we we've been doing a lot of work here, um, and and so we've run, you know, and we we obviously we have a lot of respect for chain analysis as well, um, and and you know we read their stuff, um, you know, and and but the projects that we've been doing, it, it it's a really interesting alignment to the maturity of the market. So let's just finish that last question. You know, 
2014, 2015, the traditional banks tried to sow an enormous amount of doubt that Bitcoin was complete garbage and it was, wasn't going to work. That, 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 hasn't, that hasn't happened. Um, and I think that you know, the banks are, are now taking it more seriously. So the next question is, well, there isn't an enormous amount of regulatory oversight. The regulators are beginning to look at this. Uh, but, but what's the dynamic of crime within this new financial market? So, so the key here, Brian, is what I said earlier, which is you can't buy a lot of this stuff. And so you know, what, what we've done is we've run analysis on, on the results that we've been generating with, with our clients. Um, and, it, and it's intriguing. You know, this is not the system is not being hugely arbitraged for terrorist financing. You know, the Hawala networks um, are still, you know, the key to being able to provide and fund uh, individuals across across the world. Um, you know, you can see what Hezbollah and and these guys are doing. They have incredibly sophisticated financial systems that have penetrated the U.S. Uh, and, and and Latin American markets. Um, uh, same with the narco economy. That is a cash business. So, you know, you're still dealing with, you know, huge amounts of truckloads of US dollars crossing the Mexican border on a, on a reasonably regular basis. We, we read a lot of stuff about what the North Koreans are up to. Yeah, but you know what, mate? They, they have about the same number as, of IP addresses as a, a single city block in New York City. So yeah, you know they're helping themselves out every now and then, but then but, it, but, it, but it's not to the to the degree that the headlines are talking about, and and the same with with where everybody's talking about Russia and the oligarchs. All right, there's about twenty five of them. Yes, they're all terribly rich. Uh, yes, they have used crypto uh, as alternatives, but really the majority of crime within um, uh, uh, the, the crypto sphere, for want of a better term, within this new financial system, is ransom scams extortion and direct fraud of the individual participants so a lot of ponzi schemes a lot of stupid investments you know a lot of people who are buying into this and then you know, using you know regular money um becoming uh, getting these digital assets digital currencies and then getting ripped off by others so there's a ton of internal fraud and so if anybody is actually involved with this as participants, um, you have to be really careful. I, I, you know, I saw on LinkedIn a fantastic Chinese um, uh, uh, a video. It was, it was some builder who was having lunch and he sat against a, a moving garage, a garage door, and the garage door went up six inches and a dollar came out. He grabbed it and threw it back and two dollars came out. And he loved that. So he, he opened his wallet and he put a load of cash in and then tons of cash out. So then he got all of that cash, took his watch off, um, uh, got his wallet and threw everything in. And then the garage door closed. And I, I thought that was incredibly appropriate for what's happening at the moment, which is, you know, there are a lot of the participants. The, the second area that we're seeing a lot of, particularly coming out of, of Asia Pacific area, is in the world of human trafficking child pornography and slavery, you know, ch child pornography, particularly, um, it is highly digitalized, it's, it's often video based, or it's streaming based. And therefore, it can be done a lot, you know, so wherever you are um, uh, making humans fungible, digital currencies can do very well, wherever you're looking at new places, 
to uh, identify naivety and exploit naivety, you're, you're, you're seeing that within uh, participant uh, ransoms and extortion and fraud. So we're not seeing the traditional criminals using this as much as everybody thinks. So ISIS's crypto account is not particularly exciting. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the cartels in Mexico are still enjoying the use of the US dollar. Um, and, and so because this is somewhat of still of a certain degree, a closed ecosystem in which people are buying into, the vast majority of crime is in the peer-to-peer -peer market rather than organized as in like in the traditional market. Is that going to change? Yeah, of course it is. But it will change at the speed of what you can do with these currencies, how you can liquidate them, how you can buy and purchase uh, materials and other assets. Yeah, no, fantastic points. I mean, I think that understanding the the current nature of, of criminality on uh, in the crypto universe is essential in part because as you allude to, there's been historically quite a few misconceptions about, you know, what's happening in the, the ecosystem. Um, and really the, the fraud and the scams um, is by far the largest sector of, of criminal activity. And it goes back to that, you know, uh, to some extent, you know, lack of intermediation and uh, yeah, exactly. uh, absence of regulation, at least in certain sectors like, you know, the NFT space, for example, sort of adjacent to the crypto space, but um, related and um, yeah, largely unregulated. And as you mentioned earlier, the DeFi space, you know, not yeah, really subject yeah. to a whole lot of regulation, at least in, in the yeah. current state. Um not a whole lot of KYC, AML safeguards. Um, so what do you Oh, yeah, mean? no. But, but, but you know, I, I'm not going to say which one, but I, I set up a Bitcoin account recently and it said, you know, give us a copy of your driver's license, you know, or fed, federal, um, uh, federal ID, and then on, on below it, or press here to skip this step. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sort of, well, that's not very good, is it? Um, yeah, true, true, true story. Um, uh, so, you know, I, I, I think that, um, uh, you know, we, we are going to see an expansion and, and the use of these assets. Uh, I just think that, the and, and we need to be ready for it. Now, the question is, is are we ready for it? Well, the, the, there is actually some good news here. Um, intriguingly enough, some of these old bloody rules that we've been using, looking for crimes in the 1980s and 1990s, are still actually quite valuable. Uh, are actually quite useful here. Uh, so we've been blending, you know, high intensity inference models with like basic velocity rules and, and been finding some really, really interesting behaviors in that. So I, I don't think that you need a wholesale change other than the wholesale change that is needed already. So we don't need a second wave of detection to deal with this financial system. Now, you know, everybody's using a steam engine to discover, you know, people driving Ferraris at the moment. Um, and, and, and those old rule systems need to be replaced or, or significantly upgraded. But it doesn't, but, but this new financial system does not require a second wave of, um, uh, uh, of uh, uh, technology to actually deal with criminal transparency. And, and that's actually good news. I think that certainly we've been looking at some of the traditional rules. We've been upgrading them with, you know, some significantly new 
uh, and more powerful AI approaches. And the rules have really been ad adding the edge cases to the models and, you know, looking at crypto as a standard asset class, um, we, you know, we, we're finding some really interesting behaviors. And I think we, we should feel pretty good that we have everything that we need to be able to deal with any opacity or any behaviors. Because in the end, everything is registered. It is public. It is transparent. And we can talk about, you know, mixing companies like Tornado Cash and firms like that that do confuse things a little. But, um, you know, the, the current wave of detection systems, you know, and, and I'm, I'm going to talk about Yazdi there. I won't bother to give anybody else any credit. Um, uh, are actually ready and in a good place to deal with the types of behaviors uh, and the types of criminality that you're going to see in this space. It's a it's an encouraging thing to hear. It is. It is. <laughs> it absolutely yeah, is. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. look, you know, in, in in the end, a Hawala network is infinitely more difficult to find than somebody running fraudulent transactions through the blockchain. Infinitely. Right. Why? And a... Because you have, because you have a physical asset and you have human beings in the process and you have absolutely no tracking of it whatsoever. And and I hate to say this. You don't have corrupt individuals within the system that are facilitating the crime. Yeah, and it it also speaks to you know a point that you you made a little bit earlier in the the conversation around the transparency of blockchain based transactions. So, uh, yeah, I'd be interested if if you could speak for those that maybe are a little bit less familiar with it. They might have you know heard public ledgers and blockchains and that type of thing. But this this opens itself to a different you know type of monitoring, um, or at least a different uh, level of accessibility than maybe what you've had and we've had in the traditional banking sector, right? So um, how does this work, you know, this, these transparent blockchains, and what does that allow you to do in order to detect criminal activity in the, the, the crypto world? Well, you need to think of, of a, 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 a um, decentralized finance transaction let's just call it a loan right think of it as a piece of a car uh, if you look at a car piece they have very long numbers applied to them why is that it is because it allows you as the supplier to understand what it is what car what make what year what um, and where it came from and, and so what it is is an extremely long um, history of that component that is essentially what the blockchain is that is what the distributed ledger is as an action happens an irrefutable uh, and an immutable record is created and something else happens an, another registration of that action is connected to the end and so you end up with this incredibly long but, but absolutely discoverable and transparent history of all the activities that that asset has gone through, all the people who have touched it, all the transactions that have been lined to it, all the pricing that's been applied to it. So in, in that way, Brian, you have a, a truly transparent ability to understand where this has gone from. Now, there are some... Um, esoterics to that, which are more complex, 
for example, unhosted wallets that don't necessarily go through the exchange, that does create a significant amount of opacity that, you know, we've got a breakthrough on, on working out how to do that. We're going to talk about it. Um, but, but in the end, what, what you're doing here is you're able to um, really understand what has been the history of activities. Um, uh, and, and in that way, things like KYC, things like participants, things like, you know, particular history of, 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 of um, activity dynamic, all are registered and discoverable. Um, you know, there are, there are certain currencies, private company, pr private currencies that are more problematic. Um, you know, so if you're going to go buy a machine gun on the dark web and somebody asks you for to pay in Ethereum, there's a very good chance. So that's the FBI. But if they're going to ask you in Minio, well, it's probably, you know, it probably is a dodgy person because these private cryptos remain a bit of a problem. Um, uh, but it's good to see that the exchanges are beginning to try and understand it. And it's also good to see that all of the regulators, particularly after the big Biden announcement, are saying, yeah, we need to take this seriously. Now, just to, just to babble one, one you know, what worries me on this? Well, to be perfectly honest, the discovery of crime doesn't. I, Brian, I really think we are in a reasonably good position. Um, uh, the disintermediation of financial institutions, yeah, I think the banks need to pull their socks up and really understand this shit because if they don't, you know, you are going to have a Barnes and Noble moment. The adoption curve is so aggressive. The innovation and, and frankly, the, the smart VC money is going into these fintechs. Um, uh, and and, and let's, let's be very clear, you don't, you don't need to be a bank to be part of the financial system at this point. And so it'll be very interesting to see what some of the large retailers um, uh, and, and, and other firms have. You know, obviously at this point, Teslas can now be bought by crypto. That is a big, big step forward. What does worry me is how the regulators are reacting to this. So, so let me just calibrate that to the first comment that I made, which was, we're seeing a true democratization of the financial system. It's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. The regulators have to regulate this, particularly because you're seeing an explosion on the exploitation of the more naive participants in the system and, and internal fraud, uh, particularly. So the, the, the regulators need to focus on this in the right way. The problem is they have to do that without disintermediating all of these new, new participants. We are looking at a revolution in, in the financial system and it's incredibly exciting. And, and the inclusiveness of decentralized finance and of the crypto world, for me, is the most exciting thing. The regulators need to make sure, and it's a real balancing act for them, that, that they can exploit tra transparency so we can, we can suck out the crime that, that we can control this so that people who are more naive do not lose their livelihoods here. But we also mustn't put regulations in that shut down this democratization and the acceleration of adoption that we're seeing. I, I think of anybody that has the biggest challenge here, you know, the banks have a binary decision. They're either going to get themselves sorted out and, and, and really get involved with this or they're not. The regulators have a much more nuanced problem, which is, there is a whole new approach to finance here. It isn't as simple as saying, if you've got a good credit rating, you're going to get a loan. 
um, and and just shutting that down is a simple answer, but will really undermine what what this uh, what this financial system can provide. You know, many many people globally. Yeah, it is absolutely quite a tricky balancing act. I mean, I am encouraged by uh, the thought and the willingness to engage that I see from a lot of the regulators, both in the U.S. and around the world. And, you know, in a way, I see it as a, you know, hopefully like an encouraging model of of what could be in the financial sector as a whole, because I do think there has been um, in many ways, stronger and more direct engagement between the private sector and the crypto space and the regulatory, you know, world than there has been historically among kind of traditional financial institutions. Um, so that's been that's well, been and, good and, to and, see. Well, and, and in the and also, you know, these new fintechs, these new participants, need to take compliance and regulatory reporting and financial crime seriously, and 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 you know. A few of them are, but a few, you know. But at the moment, we're looking at some significant land grabs, and you know the regulators do need to step in and say, "Great, we don't want to discourage your growth, but growth for you know to, to the detriment of your participants um, is not uh, is not appropriate." And and get some more control about about that. But you know, the, the good news is, unlike the fiat markets. Um, all these activities are highly discoverable, highly monitorable, and 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 therefore, um, because they're in this single, unified, and what I call immutable technology framework, there is a way that, that the regulators can really think about this and put in prudent, effective regulatory controls, so the system doesn't you know burn out by becoming a you know a core of financial crime. Um, and gets as arbitraged as the current traditional system has been. Yeah, great point. So, so we've told the regulators what what uh, what they need to do. Hopefully, they're all listening. <laughs> oh, they're not. They're going, oh God, it's him again. Can't you shut him up, right? That's what they're saying. But so let, let's close it out with my my final question. Uh, and you know, this is one that we've we've definitely touched on, but just to kind of revisit it in a in a more fulsome way. Let's say you know you're. You're a financial institution. You've listened to this conversation. You're convinced that um, you know the cryptoverse is the future, and uh, you need to be a part of it. What are the best practices and tools that you need in place to you know make this transition effectively from a financial crime perspective? Um, what do you need to be able to confront fraud and money laundering? I mean, I think one obvious answer is you know, gain the requisite internal expertise to even be able to deal with this. But what else would you recommend from a tools best practices perspective? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm writing that down because it, it's, I, I've been answering your questions way too long. Um, so, so let me try and summarize. Um, banks are crap at KYC. Um, and we're going to have the same issue here. The what, who is the wallet um, is going to be a big deal. Who, who owns the entry point in, in the process? And so, um, you know, the, the lack of real KYC um, 
is something that that really allows a lot more of these hacks and rug pulls and scams, um, which frankly are quite easy to trace as a behavior. So, you know, KYC is at the moment critical, not not referential ownership or, you know, stuff like that. I'm talking about truly understanding who your customer is, what their behavioral dynamic is, and what they intend to do within this new financial system. Um, the, the second is uh, you don't need to solve all of this in, in one go. There are particular asset classes that you know, financial crime needs to, or the financial criminal team or crime team needs to look at. Uh, and, and there we would look absolutely at loans. Uh, and there we would also look at um, you know, traditional retail business. Uh, and you mentioned something earlier that we haven't really covered, Brian, which is NFTs. You know, NFTs to a certain extent should be treated in exactly the same way as we treat uh, laundering and financial crime in other high net worth asset classes like art and and uh, and, and and real estate. Um, and so, in in that way, an NFT should be looked at in the same way as expensive art or expensive, um, as I said, real estate. The, the other one that I would uh, definitely look at is really pushing on what is, you know, not investing in a brand new specific crypto discovery detection tool. Um, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm saying bad things about those companies because they're really good at what they do. Uh, and, and they should be really focusing at the fintech, but the traditional banks, which is what your question was, Brian, have um, you know a, a significant amount of opportunity by blending, you know, using the other um, webinar that we had or the other um, podcasts that we had, using AI deployments to augment the existing rules engines. And, you know, as that augmentation improves in efficacy, finally removing these old steam engines that they have. Um, at that point, crypto is just another asset class and it should not be treated from a financial crimes perspective as something that is separate. Why? Because in the end, guys, what these financial criminals will be doing is using crypto to try and make it as opaque as possible but still exiting you with the US dollar. And so, you know, complex organized financial crime is going to be using crypto as a component of the criminal workflow rather than a, an input and an end, and an endpoint to in itself. And so organizational change, Brian, in which people really do understand what's going on here. Um, uh, and, and a tone from the top that says, this is an existential challenge for us. We need to really understand um, how to deal with this, both in the creation of new products and new services for our customers, but also in a, being able to provide the most appropriate risk parameters in understanding these activities. And in understanding these activities, let's get the KYC sorted out once and for all. Um, Let's focus on particular asset classes because these are the ones that will take off. And I would suggest that loans and mortgages are the two that would take off most appropriately. And, and three, you know, the good news is you don't need to spend millions of dollars buying and building particular crypto crime discovery assets 
you actually have most of what you need in place already. And so the real focus is in organization or the intellectual horsepower needed to understand this, uh, the organizational culture to make a decision to say, yeah, we think this is an existential threat to our operating model and we need to take it seriously um, uh, and make that binary decision. A an evolution of the asset classes that allow you to focus on it, start at, at loans, at, at, and, and then deal with the traditional crime discovery problems, which is you've got to sort your KYC out more. And what is important here, you need to recognize that crypto will not be a criminal category in itself. It will be a clever component for the obfuscation and creation of opacity within the financial criminal workflow. But in the end, it's still going to be US dollars. And US dollars will be the preferred money laundering currency for at least another decade. Yeah, that's some honestly some fantastic points you've made there, um, and and quite a lot to unpack. But I think yes, uh, I it, well, you shouldn't it, ask me complicated questions. <laughs> if you did, if you didn't like the answer, why did you ask such a scary question? Um, oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's amazing. It, and and look, you, if you're a banker, you have to do one thing only: just look at 2002 to 2005, because yes. that's what's happening. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely but, but, right. But, but, but if you're a financial crimes team, it's not that intimidating, actually. It really isn't. You know, what, what's intimidating is, you know, you're still fighting a war with a stick and stone. And, you know, you guys are going to make some really big decisions on the pieces of junk transaction monitoring systems that you're using at the moment that have about a 1% accuracy is creating all these enormous false positives that, that you can't see the wood for the trees. You got to solve that. Solve that, the crypto component of this problem will actually look after itself. Because in the end, it's just another asset class. And in the end, it is way more transparent than the fiat asset classes that you're having to deal with at the, uh, uh, from the traditional banking system. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And I can't tell you how many law enforcement you know agents we've spoken with on webinars with presentations who have said, Look, I'd much rather you know the financial criminals use cryptocurrencies than cash. Absolutely. You know, they just it makes my life so much easier. Please, please use crypto, right? So, yep. you know, yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, I uh, couldn't couldn't agree with you more. You know, if if terrorists use crypto, we'd be able to sort them out pretty quickly. These Hawala networks are a pain in the bum. They really yes. are. Well, it has been a true pleasure, Simon. Every time I talk with you, I leave not only enlightened, um, but also energized, frankly, and a little bit more optimistic about the work we're doing. Um, because, you know, I think uh, you just have a, a passion and enthusiasm, but also a perspective on this that makes what seems like a thorny and complex challenge solvable, right, by breaking it down into these components. Um, again, my guest Maya on this this podcast has been Simon Moss. He is the CEO of Symphony Iosdi, um, and it's a it's been a real pleasure having this conversation with you, Simon. Brian, it's always a pleasure, mate. Uh, stay in touch, and um, I hope everybody thought this was interesting. Yeah, and we will uh, catch you on the next episode of the Financial Crime Cast. We are available on uh, Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. So have a great rest of the day, rest of the week and look forward to catching on the next one. Goodbye, everyone.